Welcome to another episode of York Hospital Ball. This week's guest is former goalkeeper Chris Marples, who is famous for being the last player to have played professional football and cricket at the same time. Chris has great affection from all of his former clubs, with York City being no exception. And here he speaks with great honesty about his time at Bootham Crescent, as well as his wider career. This podcast is proudly sponsored by Had IT, a company whose employee James Richardson is a huge long-time supporter. Had IT assists organizations with their internal print, copy, and scan function using the latest technology from a range of manufacturers. If your place of work is looking for a copier or just some advice in this area, get them to give James a call on 07376 674 697. That's James on 07376-674-697. These podcasts are a spin-off from York Hospital Radio, a charity who provides a service for patients in York Hospital. The charity is in its 59th year, but requires funds to continue. If you enjoy these podcasts, then please consider helping our cause by donating to justgiving.com slash York hospital radio that's just giving.com slash york hospital radio but for now here is series eight episode four chris marples great to speak to you Chris I've, I've been really looking forward to this I'm always really interested in going deeper into people's careers than I already kind of know and you know you were really well remembered for being a both a pro footballer and a pro cricketer which made me sort of assume wrongly that, that everything was quite easy for you kind of when you started off but I was looking that Ian Porterfield sort of effectively told you he didn't think you were good enough at Rotherham I just wondered how hard was that to take as a young lad and, and how did you kind of bounce back from that? I was good to, to be fair I was playing for Chesterfield boys under 15s in the National Cup at that time and signed schoolboy formed with Rotherham and playing in Northern Intermediate football at that time as well that was under Jim McGuigan and then Ian Porterfield came in to Rotherham and at 16 didn't offer me apprenticeship unfortunately you know we don't see you being a pro keeper we don't see you doing that so yeah I was really good to try on the way home when I found out but with my dad's help I went again and started playing at Goul in Sutton Town and then I was on amateur forms at Bradford City and actually played against Chesterfield and I'd already signed a cricket contract to start on the April I'd signed that the year before a pre-contract. So I'd signed that and then Chesterfield had a, had a somebody left and invited me to go on there so I, I went on the staff at Chesterfield at 18-19 yeah. so I'd had two or three years playing non-league and finding it hard it was it was hard in non-league you know as a, as a young keeper so I found that hard and then yeah I had an upset back to, he said I weren't good enough and it, it's hard to take as a kid you know mm. when you've been playing football and cricket for such a long time at, at junior levels and then to be told you know that you're not going to make the grade it's, it's, a, it's a little bit disappointing but no I, in the end it turned out okay Definitely. And, you know, like I say that, you know, the pro contracts with, with cricket and football, you know, with Derbyshire and, and then with Chesterfield. Oh. How, how did that work? Because, you know, I know it probably would never happen these days, you know, the, the no. chance for being a crossover. But did you ever sort of play both sports on the same day? Yes, I did. So what happened was I, I, I'd signed a pre-contract to uh, cricket to start on April the 1st, 1985. And that year, the Chesterfield season, I got in the side after four games, played then right up to Christmas and I had a car accident and missed two games and then played the remainder of the season. So from April the 1st, I had to go training at Derby because we didn't start training them days. It's not like now where they go training from November do the physical stuff and things like that it was just April the 1st you had probably a month's pre-season I was going down on the Thursday nights where we had senior where we had pro nets at Derby in the indoor school so on the 1st of April I, I went training to Derby and then because I was in the team at Chesterfield at the time every time we got a game I had the day off and played played football that day and then we had a, a three-day game against Lancashire at Buxton a Wednesday, Thursday, Friday I was playing that and then I drove down to baseball ground a Derbyshire Cup game where Chesterfield used to play Derby every year and I played in that on the night time and then played again cricket on the Sunday in the John Play League so, and then another time then the following season when we first started we played Bournemouth at Chesterfield on the Saturday and Michael Oldin was waiting for me he came to the game waiting for me and we travelled down to Southampton for a game a, a televised game against Hampshire on the Sunday so it was like that from round about April I was doing both sports for like two seasons three seasons never had a break it was really hard yeah 
Oh, I was just going to say that, you know, these days the managers moan if they've got to play more than one game a week. I mean, you're, you're pretty much playing every day, all day, every day. I mean, w- did you kind of just take that in your stride? You know, when, you, when you're young and that, you just want to play. So I just enjoyed playing football and playing cricket. It came a little too easy for me because the first season at Chesterfield, 84-85, we won, we won the league. I kept 28 clean sheets in 38 games. So things was happening quick. And then when I went to Derbyshire and the season started, not long after the Benson Edges game the guy who was keeping wicket there Bernie Mayer lost four and I got straight in the first team then so I played majority of the season football and then I, after a few months I was in the side at cricket playing first class cricket and again I'd train when it come to this football season if we were near about if we were at Derby or playing at Chesterfield I remember one game at Chesterfield playing Leicestershire at Chesterfield and the manager came down to watch and when the drinks list came at the end of the game which was a pint of beer he took it off me he said the kids are waiting for you at, at Saltergate so I had to get in my car to Saltergate to go and train Thursday night for a game on the Saturday it was good it was good fun you know I wouldn't change it hard but real good I'm, I'm sure there's lots of transferable skills sort of with reflexes etc keeping wicket yeah. and keeping in goal but the technique I imagine will be very different won't it yeah diving wise completely different because at cricket you, you dive belly flopped and at football you dive onto an handle or, or you know there's lots of contrasting things but one or two things what yeah we'll, we'll, we'll little different but again and eye coordination that's all I'd ever wanted to do to be fair right from being a kid play football and play cricket and and I was fortunate to play both and I'm the last one to do it now so and I don't think as you say I don't think anybody will ever do it again because of the the crossover time they they just cross over too much now I mean being an understudy to you know Bob Taylor who had a great career and and Michael Holden you mentioned earlier bowling at you keeping wicket behind his bowling I mean it must have been amazing times to play with those sorts of I think I played at the best time I think I was very fortunate play cricket at the best time I mean you look at the sides what the, when we played Somerset had Joel Garner and Ian Botham and Viv Richards I was fortunate to play against them Hampshire Gordon Greenwich Malcolm Marshall you know you've got Sylvester Clark at Surrey you've got the all West Indian bowlers who were rapid really quick and I was I was fortunate to play at that time and, and, and unlike now you used to look at the fixtures and have a look see who were playing and when the test matches were because when the test matches finished the test lads used to come back and play counter cricket the day after which now, I mean, Anderson's played probably one championship game in five years or something like that, something ridiculous. Whereas he was playing against the best all the time. When I look back and I look at the times and look at some photos where, who I played against and, and who I played with as well, you know, John Wright, New Zealander, and, and same as saying Michael Alden, and these guys were the best of the lot, you know, and, and I was quite fortunate to be part of that in my short career of cricket. But as I say, I loved every minute. And then it got to a stage where, you know, one was taking up, one wanted to have preference over the other. And, and it was a little bit like that so I got released at Derby I found out in the car going down, going to training at football I got released at Derby and then I heard Glamorgan came in but again they wanted me to be available for the Ben Snedges games which started in April mm. and football didn't finish well middle May so it was the little bit yeah so you got to make the choice at that time and football although I weren't on as much money at football football were paying 12 months a year and, and cricket only paid 6 months a year yeah. you know you had to find alternative work for 6 months so I chose football and and, and concentrated on football from then. Yeah, and, and, and let's, let's talk football. I mean, you mentioned there Chesterfield and, and you broke into the side, I think only after sort of four games and you stayed in right yeah. through, apart from the, the car accident. And, and I think you kept a clean sheet on your debut, didn't you, too, against Bury? How, how much do you remember yeah. your football debut? I remember it as though it was yesterday. I remember going into training on the Friday. Jim Brown, who was the keeper at the time, he was working as commercial manager and keeper at the time at Chesterfield. He used to train Thursday nights with the kids, so the kids, he used to go, with the amateurs and he, and he broke a finger and I went in training on the Friday and, and John Duncan said to me he says are you ready he says what do you usually do on a Friday I said well I just go down to the local pub and have a couple of pints down there he says do as you've done go down enjoy just thing he says and, and you'll play tomorrow and and I was a nervous well I say I was nervous I went down to the pub had a couple of pints with my dad my dad went down and, and then getting on the bus then to, to go to Bury I remember my dad my dad had packed up smoking for about 10 years he got to Bury an old wooden stand there at Bury and he sat in there and, he, and he, he walked out the ground and asked him if he'd go to shop and start smoking again. He was as nervous as me. And then, we, yeah, Burry and Leighton James were there. He was playing there at that time. They went up with us. We drew 0-0 there. That, that was the first game, yeah. You mentioned there an incredible 26 clean sheets I've, I've, I think I've got written down. Yeah. I mean, it must have been a really tough side to break down and, and must have been really well drilled under sort of John Duncan. Yeah, we were. We've got some characters as well. We've got two good centre-halves and, you know, when you're first coming into a side as a kid, 19, when you're first coming into the side at that time, you need protection. As a goalkeeper, you need a bit of protection. And I got it. 
I got it early doors and then I grew and grew and grew and became better. And yeah, Les Hunter, Steve Baines were fantastic in there. And we got some experience with obviously, you know, late Ernie Moss now who passed away last year. Yeah, and Kevin Randall was assistant manager and John Duncan manager. And they drilled us. We we used to, as fun as it seems, we used to pick up off his own throwings. We was drilled, we was drilled to pick up off his own throwings. So when we got a corner, we was actually looking where they were as well. So I don't know how many one nils we had that season, but we had hell of a lot of one nils. We got beat New Year's Day four. We never conceded. It was just it was just never we just never conceded. We we was was a strong side, a strong unit. Not a lot of players played as well. There were only probably about fifteen or sixteen players played all season. It was a real tight knit group who they all knew what they were doing. Yeah. And, I, and I think I read that that, you, that season you you played Darlington and Hereford, I think, in one week, and they were both ahead of you yeah. in the league. You won them both, and that was pretty much it. At that time, I mean, because I'd gone and my contract was due to start with Derbyshire, they gave it me. They wanted to give me the contract till April but obviously the football league doesn't allow that it has to go to July the 1st so from April the 1st I was getting paid a pound a week at Chesterfield my wage was a pound a week but and I was only on 40 quid I was only on 40 quid I just wanted a chance you know after being told not good enough at Rotherham I wanted a chance and when the opportunity came although I'd got a cricket contract I went to Derby I spoke to the guys at Derby and said look you've got priority but I want to go am I alright they, they were great so yes yeah, so I went there and then yeah we'd, we'd been around about the top four we, I was on like 90 pound appearance so I wanted to keep my spot and at that time we was on 30 pound a point and we was winning games so my wage were like 40 quid and the appearance and bonus were like 180 you know that made me wages otherwise I'd have been I mean I, I were catching off my mum and dad all the, all the time that times but Mm. But that's how it was. But yeah, so we went into that week and we were third. I think we were sitting third. I don't know whether Darlington were top and, and Hereford were top or second or whatever, round about that. Went to Hereford and won 1 0. And then we went to Darlington on a on a real sticky pitch and we won there 3 1. Took us top and I don't think we came back from then. Mm. I think we stopped up there all, this, all the games and we actually clinched the championship with two games to go. We played Peterborough away, got another 0 0. And then we played Rochdale the final game of the season where, where Saltergate was just buzzing and got another 0 0. So another. So yeah, it was it was it was always the opposition nil majority of the time. Shame when you mentioned your wages there, but you didn't have a clean sheet bonus. You'd have been raking it in. Yeah, I would have been. <laughs> It'd have been nice. I, I got one the following year, but I didn't get many to clean sheet. You know, as I say, I, I wanted an opportunity, and I think knowing that I got a cricket contract, it helped me. But as I say, things were happening too quick. From playing non-league, from playing club cricket, within months. I'm playing first-class cricket and playing in football league and win a championship medal. And it was like, this game's easy. I took it for granted a little bit to start with. And, and I, I think I, I expected more and they were a little bit selfish. So that's one thing what I, what I did regret a little bit. But overall, you know, I wouldn't change much. I wouldn't change much of my career. I wouldn't change much of the time I've had and, you know, what I did. And, and, and I enjoyed every minute. That kind of first season, like you say, winning the, the fourth division championship yeah. must have been an incredible experience. And, and Saltergate as well. I, I've been there as a York City fan often yeah. uh, losing there but it, it's, it's a fantastic <laughs> old ground a bit like Boone Crescent isn't it I felt for the City fans to be fair that they didn't have the experience we did at Saltergate to not have a, knowing what your final match was for not having a celebration down there like at Chesterfield they made a big thing of it Alan Stevenson the old Burnley Chesterfield goalkeeper he was they brought him in to do a memorable stuff about it all when they actually left they put a marquee on the ground and they invited 50 legends what they could they said the, the legends were there and I was fortunate to be invited to that and we had a, we had a meal there and then we moved from there and had a meal at the new ground it was great that we got to mem- remember it and you know and I remember going to my last game at Saltergate it was a fantastic feeling and you know there were some tears shed and, and I felt for the city supporters I, I still feel now for them you know when I went to the new stadium earlier on this year and, and, I, and I was guest of a game there you know I said to them at half time you know you've got your memories you've got your memories at, at Booth and Crescent and I'm sure they'll stand by for a long long time but now it's time to create new ones at the new stadium and I, and, I, and I always look for the score and I wish they could get back into the league conference national to start with you know I'd like to see them get back in there and then push on from there and I'm sure they will in time it's just a long time since they've been in the league and it, it's hard now you know we're only one club being promoted I mean so I say my, my club Chesterfield who I go and watch and follow they're up there but when you think of, this, of the sides what's behind I think there's six points separating the top eight and only one going up and there's about three sides who's averaging two points a game and you're only going to get one goal automatic and then you've got the, the playoffs which great if you get through them disappointed if you don't isn't it I mean that's that's the that's the other thing so I, I wish City all the best in trying to get where they need to be I feel for them I feel for the supporters especially with, with the ground and everything and not being able to have, a, have the final game there 
just going back to you, to your early career at Chesterfield then, I think it's fair to say you were sort of establishing yourself as a bit of a character on the pitch as well. I, I saw a tweet from some older shop fans remembering you kind of running uh, down the tunnel. They were running down the tunnel after you. I mean, I just wonder if you remember yeah, that. Yeah. We played all the shot away and there was a funny incident that happened at that time. John Duncan, he was very vocal from the from the sidelines and a player broke out. Steve Spooner, who was obviously at York, he was, a, he, yeah, was yeah. A, he was playing wide left at, at, at Chesterfield at the time and he shouted Newt, Newt, give it that we played in all white. We didn't play in white very often. I think very rare we played in white. Chessfield, it was usually blue, and then when you played away, it was red. But for some reason, obviously, they're blue and red, so we played in a, a third kit, a white one. So we were playing in white, and this ball got played up to Bob Newton, and he got it under control. And the gaffer was screaming at him, give it the white man, give it the white man, give it the white man. And he thought it was spoof. It was actually the pop man who was selling pies on the outside who on the wing, who it was, who, gaffer is pie man. So quite funny, but again, it was a 1-0, I think, down there. As a goalkeeper, you get a bit of stick from the supporters. And now we're giving it back. And one or two of them took it a little worse than, than we were. And at the end of the game, when I got my gloves, I said something to them and they jumped over and started chasing me. And I ran down the tunnel out of the way. It happened at Mansfield as well. And at Mansfield, I didn't know whether you know, but at Mansfield, you have to walk through the crowd to get to your changing rooms. At Mansfield, you have to walk through the concourse to get to the to, to the change rooms. And I'd get a deliberate foul, and there were, must have been about hundred waiting for me in the tunnel there at Mansfield. They were playing hell. Or another nil nil, by the way, on Easter Monday. But yeah, so yeah, once or twice I got chased off a little bit, but uh, all part and parcel. You fell out with John Duncan at, at Chesterfield and, and moved to Stockport for. Twelve and a half thousand, which which back in, in 86, 87, I imagine would have been a lot of money. Yeah, yeah. They, they were nine points adrift, I think, with twelve to, twelve games to play. No, but under oh, the yeah. guidance of Colin Murphy, who I, I think was a bit crackers from from my kind of research. <laughs> you managed to stay up. I mean, I think you would have been the first team relegated to the non-league as well. I think re-election sort that's of right. around then. That's right. It was. It was the first time anybody had had worked so hard to get in the in, in the league. As it happened, Ernie Moss had left Chesterfield and gone there. He'd gone to Stockport with Phil Brown, a little midfield player, and they'd gone to Stockport. And yeah, they were out. We're nine points adrift, 12 games to go, deadline day. I'd had an argument with John Duncan, we'd fell out. His wife was, she did tarot cards, and I was told that she thought I was going to make a mistake. So I went ballistic. I walked off a training ground, I went ballistic. We had an argument, we had row, and, and I weren't going to get play. I weren't going to get selected again. So when Stockport came in, and I said, well, I'm not going unless you give me some money. I said, I've got a year on my contract, I'll sit it out. I said, I'm not, I'm not going unless you give me some money. Anyway, next minute, phone call went, no mobiles at that time, Colin Murphy's there. He said, I've drove all the way down here. He says, I want to sign you, you're not here. I said, I want, I want a bit of money signing on, I ought to leave. I said, you know, they've got me for note, they're getting 12 and a half thousand. I said, I want a bit. Anyway, he says, what are you after? So I told him what I'm after, and he said, I'll sort you. He said, I'll give it you. And that was it. I went there. I was reluctant to go because obviously it was the first time I had gone out of the league. Nine points adrift. I'm thinking we could be out. I could be out of the league as fast as I've gone in it. Colin Murphy assured me. He said, "Look, although you couldn't put it in your contract, I think he did put it in my contract. That if we get, did go get relegated, then I'd become I'd be free to go." So I said, "Yeah, okay." So we got to go and on a, a signed deadline day. And on the Friday we're playing Cambridge Storm, and there's a there must have been a gale force wind. And at Stockport at that time, they'd not got the big stand at the back behind the goal the old end that was like a little hut it was like a little shed corrugated iron roof and I remember after 20 minutes we were 3-0 down and I'm thinking what have I done what have I done we're 3-0 down it was with the wind and I remember taking a goal kick and it went for a corner I kicked the ball and wing got it and blew it back for a corner it was that bad the wind was that bad so we're 3-0 down after 20 minutes we need to say we went on and won the game 4-3 but in the second half I used to patrol my 18 yard box I never used to stop near my goal but I used to patrol my goal and I remember going back to my goal for something so they never got in our half second half and he was one of them we never got out of our own half and they never got out of ours when the wind were against us and I remember one of the stewards says Chris make sure you get further down that field he says because this roof's going to come off in a minute I went oh so and there I am in first game and I'm thinking what have I done and, and as I say we, we won the game 4-3 and the atmosphere Colin Murphy created was just amazing weren't nice every morning we used to have to go on the track and do a 12 minute run we played virtually every Friday at home and we used to have to train Friday morning and then he sent us to the hotel to rest mm. on Friday afternoons to go to the game on Saturday but he was a great guy he knew we'd got to stay in the league that was what he was there for and 
And basically, we just did a 12-minute run, and it was shadow all day. And we just used to practice hitting balls up to Ernie Moss. We got a midfield who could be athletes. They were that good in midfield. In terms of athleticism, they were fantastic. We got Les Robinson, who was he went later went to Oxford for decent money and, and had a good career at Oxford in the I leagues. He was playing centre midfield. He got an engine like nobody. And, and a guy called Levi Edwards, who, who was only there, and I think he went in non-league after that. But they got great energy, and 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 all the work was was hitting a ball as far away from our goal as we could, trying to earn him off. Ernie would either head it on or flick it on or whatever, and everybody chased it. Everybody chased the ball. Everybody chased it back. Everybody chased. And the football was terrible. It was terrible to watch. But again, we were drilled to what we were doing. We knew what we were doing. We got out quite easily. When I was researching it, you finished nineteenth, and you were top yes. clear. And you know, well yeah. clear of, of, of compared to the position when you went there. Yeah, I mean, I mean, at that time, I don't know whether you're aware of that, but Lincoln on Boxing Day that year, the side who eventually went down, were third in the league, and they never won a game from then on. And at the end of the year. We got we got we got safe. We played Wolves, got beat. Wolves, Wolves. I think Wolves won the league that year with Milch and Bull. You know they were in the bottom yeah. division at that time, yeah. and they went through with them all the way through. And obviously Steve Bull went on and played for England and stuff. Yeah. But we was in that position, and I remember we'd not played. I think I think it might have been a midweek game, and, and Lincoln must have got beat, and we weren't played, and it, we were safe. And the following day we went in training, and the gaffer Colin Murphy he got champagne for us and put us kit on. We had to put us kit on match kit and we we had to he dropped us off at one end of the town and we had to walk through the town centre in his kit and he picked us up at the other end of the town in the minibus and he says these guys he says, he says they should be proud of you and I'm going to make him be proud of you and you're going to walk this town and you're going to and we had to walk through the town full kit to down they must have thought we were crackers but he was a he was a great guy he was a fantastic guy and as I say I only played 12 games with him and then he went to Link, he went to Lincoln when they got relegated and he asked me to go down I said I, I don't want to come out of the league gaffer I says you know I appreciate taking me and I, and I appreciate what you're doing but I said but I don't want to come out of the league he says just come down and have a chat so I went down to Lincoln took me for something to eat went back to the ground and I don't know whether you're aware but that year they trialled where you couldn't be offside from a free kick so wherever the free kick were you couldn't be offside so what Colin Murphy did and they stayed full time by the way he signed the captain from Stockport Trevor Matthewson Mark Wallington was in goal Mick Waite the big lad from Darlington was he I'm not sure he signed him so he signed Giants he signed Giants on when we went back to the ground his office were looking over the ground and I said oh I says uh, are, you having, are you having no drainage Gaffer, and he went, no, he says, we're ripping it out. So what do you mean you're ripping it? He says, we're full time. He says, and we're going to train on this pitch every day. He says, I'm going to make this pitch as mud bath as it can, so sides won't be fit as we are. And he says, I'm going to take us up. And he says, and every free kick, I'm going to put them in their six-yard box. And he did. I went to watch him in a non-league game, and when they did have a free kick, and the goalkeeper took the free kick, and everybody stood in their six-yard box. And they just played for second balls and won everything. People know now how hard it is to get out of the conference. He got them out first goal. As I say, a great a great tactician a great man manager and he did what needed to be done so although only 12 games with him thoroughly enjoyed it thoroughly enjoyed me, 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 me 12 games with him and then AC Hartford came in it was completely different AC came in that season we had everybody had their own football so any running you did you got your football and you had to run with your football if you did, if you went a two mile run you had to run with your football you had it for shooting practice you had it for everything you had, that, that was it and you know he worked more every morning we had to go and do sit-ups with him we had to do 100, 150 sit-ups day and, and uh, do that so but we didn't do the long running what he did it, it was it was a lot of ball work the lads there couldn't believe how they'd gone from one to a different you know to a different time but and I was fortunate then I mean I, I played with some great he brought Peter Barnes in ex-Legion Art and he brought Frank Worthington in and Frank was probably one of the best players I've ever seen on a football pitch in terms of skill he, he, I mean it was towards the end of his career I mean somebody said oh, we've got a Friday night game and somebody saw Frank Worthington sign and I, I thought they meant for opposition and then next minute this guy walked in black hair slick back Hardly any air on top, but slick back, ponytail, pencil tash, Stetson, black long leather coat, black polo neck, a metal tie, and he must have had boots on, cowboy boots, but they must have winkle pickers. They must have been like a size 15, and he walked in. And what a character. What an absolute, unbelievable character. But give him the ball, and he was amazing. Bob Colville came to York. Bob scored a lot of goals at Stockport at that time. I think York must have signed him from Stockport. He made him. He made. He shown him where to run. He, him, he helped his game unbelievable. It was a fantastic blow. You, you had one sort of full season at, at Stockport, and then signed for York City. Yeah. 28,000, a club record 
fee for for a goalkeeper as well. And that was yeah. under Bobby Saxon, who who didn't have too good a time at York City. But I was just sort of researching about the pre-season trip you had that that first pre-season you were there at York. I think you went to Edinburgh and played golf Edinburgh. and you went to a Michael Jackson concert, I think, didn't you? All the time. Yeah, we did. Yeah, we did. Yeah, Sacco, he persuaded me to sign. I decided towards the end of the season that I, I wasn't going to start, re- renew my contract at Stockport. I wanted to try and see if I could go further or whatever or look to different opportunities. But Acer understood he understood that and I didn't play the last two games of the season so I played a full season by the last two games he left me out of them last two games and I spoke to Bobby Saxton and, and he invited me and I went and, and I just loved everything about the club I think Bobby you know I think you're a great bloke probably too nice I don't know he brought Kevin Smith in for 30,000 I think was it and he brought Steve Spooner in for roughly the same I think he brought three of us that season uh, and things just didn't work for us I don't know he would, I remember him coming in one game and he just said I, th- I think I've I think I've lost it and he resigned which yeah. was such a shame because again a, a lovely bloke you know I really wanted it to work for him uh, yeah but yeah we went we went to Edinburgh and he says you know if you want to take your golf clubs take your golf clubs not a problem so we took us golf clubs and we trained the first morning for a couple of hours and we went golfing and then we started having a few beers and the next day we were a little bit worse for wearing he says look he says, if you don't go off like that but you know if you train right you can go golfing so we went golfing yeah so we were right we held our side of the bargain and yeah we had a beer after but we didn't have too many but it was great you know everybody got together and it got everybody together it just unfortunately didn't work on the pitch for him and yeah we did we, there was uh, Michael Jackson was at Rounding and I think it was Bano who got tickets I think Dale Banton it was who got the tickets yeah we all ended up going and Sacco came with us I mean an entertainer I mean you, you got probably at that time one of the best entertainers in the world and, and we were all together as a group and loved every minute of it really did yeah I remember just Sacco dancing to a bit of Michael Jackson so as I say it didn't work out for him well I was going to say it sounds like things off the pitch were obviously going pretty well you obviously bonded together as a group but the team struggled I mean I mean you lost 6-0 at Burnley in, in one of your early yeah, games we did. yeah we did at any point did you sort of think again a little bit like you did at Stockport in that first game but you, you maybe regretted yeah being... I never regretted moving crazy really Burnley game we got a real good audience first time I'd conceded six and it, I were gutted I were gutted but then you looked in just one of those things and I think we had a Poor result at Scunthorpe as well. I think was that the day when he's had enough. I can't remember when he resigned. It might have been after the Scunthorpe. I think we got beat at Scunthorpe as well. And I remember Smithy, Kevin. I took a free kick outside my area and I've hit it. And their centre half's come onto it and edited it. And I'm still making my way back to goal. And Smithy's overhead kicked it back to me. And I'm not sure if it just missed or went. You know, I'm not sure. But as I said, things weren't happening. It weren't happening, unfortunately. And 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 you know, I, and I felt for I felt for him because it put a lot of faith in the three signings. And so it were, it were a bit of a disappointment I don't think you know the guys will be too sure we, we didn't get off to greatest starts yeah I mean I wonder whether as well you know he, he was taken over from Dennis Smith who obviously was was really successful yeah. he wasn't he and, and like you said spent a, you know nearly £100,000 which would have been a lot of money back then yeah. you know, things uh, combined didn't didn't quite work yeah. out. things didn't work out no and Gabba's Gabba's left as well didn't he, he went he went with him went to, uh, and he took one or two players with him and I, so it left him I, I didn't have many players signed on apparently at one part of the season or the start of the season yeah really. I think they only had three players signed on didn't they yeah so it was he, he had it all to do he was had it all to do yeah. but as I say, he was a great bloke and, and a lovely bloke. And, you know, he was one of the reasons that I came. Yeah, and went on to be a good coach, didn't he, for Sunderland as well? Yeah, he team. went to Sunderland and, and he went to Newcastle as well, didn't he? It was at Newcastle as well. Uh, with uh, Arthur Cox I think that's when Darren Bradshaw went Bobby had, had a bit of, of, of him going there to Darren going there so yeah he had a good career after which I was pleased about I mean although York didn't didn't kind of have any sort of standout great season like like your Chesterfield uh, when, when you were there mm. you, you know on a personal level you must have been really pleased with, with your time at York I mean you missed only one game I think in, the, in your first two seasons 89-90 season you became the first keeper in 10 years to win Clubman of the Year you're also voted into the PFA Team of the Year I mean, that must mm. be something that, you know, that's voted by your peers, isn't it? Brilliant. I mean, Brilliant. It's yeah. a real proud moment for you. Proud to win the Player of the Year. I didn't realise then at City, and when I won the Player of the Year, I'd won the Player of the Year at Stockport as, as well. So I'd won it there, and I'd won it at, at York, and it was a great honour. And then to get in the PFA side, yeah, like, we got a game on the Tuesday, and the gaffer let us go. John Bird let us go, me and Steve Spooner got in. And he let us go, and I went down, we, me and Steve Spooner went down there, and we stopped at his relatives in London, then come back the next morning, which was fantastic for him to allow us to go to collect our award, were, were just something else. 
uh, again, if, if anybody's got the opportunity to go to a PFA Awards, you're mixing with the the, the, the best. Did Alan Shearer win it? Or I think that year, I'm not sure who won it. Might have won the young player, but I'm not sure. But yeah, the, the, some of the players, you meet them all. They're all down there. And, and it, it, it's a great experience to, and to collect a, a medal as well, divisional award medal. I was, yeah, proud as punch. And again, you know, I know it's a cliche, but you, you got to thank your own teammates as well, because that's, that's how you do it. Uh, they, you don't do it on your own. You, it's with help from them as well. So it was a, a medal mainly for us all, really. You mentioned uh, young Alan Shearer there. You had two games against Southampton, didn't you? The way one in particular, York City fans say, is one of your best games you ever had at the club. Are they kind of in some ways the perfect games for a lower league goalkeeper? Because there's little expectations to kind of win, yeah. but it's a good chance for you to impress and you're probably more than likely to get a few shots at you, aren't you? Yeah, you are. I mean, the League Cup's one of them where you, you really wanted a good side, didn't you? That was one. I mean, the third round of the FA Cup, not many sides. I only get to the third round. I only got to the third round. 11 years pro football. I think I only got to the third round once as a pro. That was at Stockport. We ended up drawing late or into away and got beat in there. So the League Cup, because I think we went to we went to Sunderland, didn't we, the, the, the previous season? And we just went out there, didn't we? We went to Roker Park and played there when, obviously, they were still new. So, yeah, I remember I remember their side at the time. Rideout was up front and Tut kicked him for a change. Tut, Tut had a kicked him and he came off. And a young Alan Shearer came on. He looked a decent player at that time. You know, he's only, I think, was 17, 18 or something like 19, I don't know. But they got some names in that side. I mean, Jimmy Case played, I think, and, Jim, and Cockrell in midfield. And you got the... Wallace brothers, they all played. I remember going up for a corner and, and catching this corner and Razor Rudder kicked me in the middle of the back and winded me for about five minutes. I, would, I couldn't get my breath for about five minutes. Chris Nichol, I think he was there and McManamy was, was manager. So yeah, so they had some real players. And we did okay. Was it 1-0 and 2-0? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah. Everybody enjoyed it. I know we did as a, as a, as a group. We enjoyed it. And we, yeah, we, it was it, it, the games you want to play against. Yeah. And, it, and also in that second season, I noticed that you had two clean sheets against Chesterfield. Nil-nil at Saltergate, four-nil at Boove and Crescent. Were, were you someone who was sort of inspired playing against your old club? Did it always make... make yeah, I was. I was fortunate that I never lost against a non-league club. In a cup competition, I never lost against a non-league club. And very rare, lost against a previous club. Yeah, I, Tony Bryan, I... I I made a few quid off him that day because Tony, a big friend of mine, he was at Chessfield centre-half and he was stopping up. So they, they travelled up and he was stopping up at mine. We were going to go out Saturday night and he was going to go out. And their manager at the time, Paul Hart, we beat him 4-0, didn't we? It's Bootham. And he had a bet with me that he'd score and he said that they'd win. And so I won, I won two bets. And it was easiest money it paid for me half that week. But yeah, again, I didn't you lose many against me old clubs. I enjoyed that. I, I, I did get a buzz about playing against me old clubs and still do now. You know, I still get a, a buzz now when I go and see two of my old clubs play. I, I, I get a buzz then and, and think I enjoyed I enjoy doing that and watching it. Well, one thing it sounds like you didn't have a buzz for was, was sort of pre-season. I spoke to Wayne Hall recently and he was saying that one of his first memories when he went to York was doing a bleep test and he said it was oh. sort of walking pace and you, and you looked like you were about to pass out and you, you're off the side oh. having a cigarette while they carried on. I hated running. Never been a runner. No desire to run. Um, unless fans chasing you down the tunnel. Yeah, anything <laughs> like that then you had to do. But yeah, so we, we did the bleep test and I used to drop out at about 10. We went to, I don't know, Harrogate or Catrick and this PT had been getting on my nerves all week because what they did when you went to a road run they gave the back man a, a bib and the front man a bib and it made people aware in the villa in the, in the area that there was army people running so when I set off we set off on this big run and, and I set off and this PT came running back to me and he took the bib off me because I'd come back from I was way behind the others he come back to me took the bib off he says you're on your own he says you're on your own he says you're too far behind he says people think that, that you're on your own so so he took the bib off me but yeah I hated running you're right I mean there was one year as well where pre-season I've gone back and I've bought one of those one of these waterproof sauna suits and I've put this sauna suit on first week of pre-season and it's one of the hottest days we've had John Bird took us on this run down the, by the by the Ouse River Ouse and we're up that way and we're running by and so I've got this kit on I've got a sauna suit on and I've also got my track suit on and I'm running and I'm going from a normal colour to a red to a, a fire and I almost did pass out then just I just trained myself yeah I mean it made me take it off and it, it ripped it up and it won't let me wear it again but I, it was just something when I tried I mean you know I just I'd been doing a, a, as, as you do you put a bit of weight on at close season and I put a bit on and I wanted to get fit and I wanted to give myself the best chance but I picked the wrong day to wear this 
So I said, but no, the lads will tell you I, I hated running. I couldn't stand running. I used to say to the gaffer, gaffer, how is this running going to stop the ball going in there? And they, they all used to say, just get on with it. Well, oh, yeah, all right. But no, I'd, I'd go up and down, diving up and down for an hour, work hard, and that was that was what I trained in. I like that's what I like to do. But the running, I mean, we did another run. Was, uh, we used to go to the where the rugby team used to play, was it? And there was a running track around there. And you used to do a four, three, two, one. So you'd do a four lap, and you'd got a certain amount to get in, and then you'd rest, and then. Then you go a three lap, and then you dress a, a shorter amount. Then you rest, do a two lap, rest a shorter amount, and then you do a one lap to finish, which would like a sprint. You got certain times to get in. I just ran ten laps. I never had a break. I said this ain't fair because I'm not having a break. We run quicker, but I, I couldn't. I wasn't blessed at running. I mean, you, you did mention before about John Bird, there, a manager who made you captain for a time at York City. What what was he like? Yeah, to he, for? he was hard man. He demanded the best. He demanded respect, and he got that respect. I think he got the respect of the players. Again, things were going well. We did okay, didn't we? We did okay with him, and then we had a few bad results. And again, he, he lost his job and that. So. But you know, overall, I think he'd done. I think he'd not done bad. But I, I enjoyed my time with him. I thought I thought he was a good manager. I know Steve Spooner was injured, and he asked me to captain, which I was proud of. I'm really proud to do that. I mean, it's the only time I captain decide. But yeah, to give me that extra responsibility, I thought were were, were really good. A lot of players that I've interviewed before who, who played under John Bird said remembered fondly that he used to give out whiskey before you run out for a game. Do you remember that? <laughs> I do remember it. He used to say, get a nip, have a nip. I think he started, well, I think it might have been a cold day one day, and he brought this bottle in and he pumped on the table. He says, get a nip. And all the lads had a nip of it, like. And we must have got a win, but he kept bringing it in. We, we did it every game. I remember one day we were, we were going, and I think I was, I was captain, as so I went and got my strappings on, I'm walking past his office, and he says, Jenny, yeah, Take this down. So I took this whiskey down and I opened it and I had a nip. And then I gave it to Macca. He had a nip. I gave it to Ginge. He had a nip. I had a nip. Gave it to two centre-halves. They had a nip. I had a nip. Really, three to four, five, the big Totten break. Gave it there. I had, I had about that much whiskey. And I, and I, I fly-kicked. I think it was Mason. And I fly-kicked a back pass. And I said, no way, I'm having that no more. And I, I yeah, so I think... <laughs> It was strange, but I don't know whether it were that, but I just put it down that. Yeah, I, I never took it round again. I just put it on the table in future. Well, that sounds sound like happy times. I mean, one thing that wasn't a happy time was obviously the tragic loss of, of David yeah. Longhurst. And I was looking back on that last night. I, I, I believe you would have been about the same age, sort of 25. And I just wondered yeah. how, how you were affected by that. And it must have been, you know, a lot a lot of that squad then, I look back, you know, you were all quite young lads, really. That must have been really difficult. We were, to yeah. There would have been no support back then. Neither will they really? No, 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 no. Uh, yeah, we were. We, there were a lot of single lads. There weren't very many lads married at that time. I think you got Ian Elliwell married and Tony Barrett married, and I think that were a lot. The other lads were all single. We we're all single lads. We we're all lads who spent time with each other, go golfing together, go for a pint together after training, and leading up to that. On the Thursday, we finished training and we called him Burtonstone for a pint and we had a pint and he, he went home. Everything was good. Every, that Leading up to the game, everything was great. We trained hard on, on the, well, don't do a lot on a Friday, but he'd been on fire. He, he could see something were happening with him. He was, because he'd not had a great time. He'd not had a great time while he was there, but all of a sudden, it was just like, it was buzzing. Everything, he, he's finishing with different class and until he chipped me. And if he chipped me, then I'd chase them. If they chipped me in training, I used to chase them and smack a ball at them. So they chipped me and I caught it and I chased him. But, we, but yeah, we had a laugh. We had a great laugh. And leading into the game, he got his girlfriend coming over. I think they were due to have a look at an house on the Monday. And on that Saturday, it was just a tragic day. I remember it well. It was like now. I remember when he went down and we went on and I, I ran over towards the dugout and his girlfriend had come down the steps. She was with one of the other players' wives. And I said, yeah, it'll be all right. Be all right. Don't worry about it. Be all right. And then when he stretched it off, we still didn't realise how what it was. And then we went in the dressing room and everybody's house longy, house longy, not knowing what, what had gone off. We know he'd passed out. We knew Jeff had thought he'd swallowed his tongue and we were trying to recover his tongue. We went in the dressing room and the gaffer was talking about the game and Keith Usher knocked on the door and he said, John, I need to speak to you. So John went out and he came in two or three minutes after. And as you walk through the dressing room, there's a, a door to the toilets and he walked past us and he put his fist straight through this glass door and he says, he's gone, boys. He's gone. And it was just unbelievable. 
went down to the physio's room, to Jeff's room. He was on the floor and it was just so sad to see him. The lads in training had gone. We didn't know what to do. We, it was a it was very sombre. They weren't training right. Leading up to the memorial the week after and the, and the funeral, we wasn't right. That night, there was, I remember Pep, I remember going back out and we're still in his kit probably an hour and a half, two hour after. And I remember going out and Pep sat where he died on the, on the exact surface where he died. Pep was sat down there just in tears. Everybody was in tears. The lads were having a whiskey and and and, and everybody you know, there was great with us. It was just something what, at that time, obviously, no mobile phones. Parents was on the way back down from school. They'd been to Scotland. They was on the way back down. My dad had not gone to that game for whatever reason. I don't know what it was. He'd not gone to that game. My dad and my sister had not come because they go every game. And all they heard on the television was a York City player has collapsed and the game is being abandoned. And nobody knew. And I think from what Keith says, the phone lines were bang, 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 just nonstop wanting to know what was happening and wanting to know. Nobody said who it was and nobody and in the end my dad got through and they said no no it was just it ripped the art out of us it was a great lad they didn't want to play the lads weren't they didn't want to train they, they were feeling things as well they, they'd say I've got pain in my chest or I don't feel right and they were, they were thinking that and then we had the memorial in the following Saturday and the funeral the week the week after or something and we all went down to the funeral we went down players went down with a with a wife well girlfriends and stuff they weren't married as I said before and it was something what you don't ever want to see again a, a, a colleague at 20 odd years old all his life in front of him professional footballer and dying with an art condition and seeing him in the grave and, and seeing him when, when they put him down I remember myself and Pep just turned around and walked off we couldn't stand it uh, there was a piper at the graveside and it was just such a, a terrible time and you know I've travelled back sometimes from Corby along there and I've, I've drove into Corby and I've gone to his grave and I've gone to say hello to him and it was really touching thanks Chris for your honesty it's, it's a harrowing story isn't it and, and it must have been so difficult yeah. back then to be able to just carry on with, with playing football I mean it just puts everything into perspective doesn't it And put everything to, it put everything in perspective and like now in these times now and people aren't seeing the loved ones when they've died and they weren't allowed to see them and things like that just horrible and to lose somebody as a team member like that it was just a, it was just a, a crazy thing but he'll be, he'll be watching Dad he'll be, he'll be having a laugh he'll be in his denims he used to wear his denims all the time we used to we were like shaking Stevens and his denims but and he, he actually got buried in his de- denims. He, he, he kept them on. They could put them on for him when he died. So, but no, I, as I say, great memories. And, and it was, uh, yeah, it was very touching. It's very still now. We, we, we had a get together a few weeks ago, a few a month ago or so. And we had a get together. And he comes up in conversation all the time. And one guy who, I don't, who nobody really speaks to a lot was reading. And I was talking to him the other day. And it was one of the first things he came up with. He mentioned Longy and, and you know, what times we had. And, it, and it, 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 it's still always in his thoughts. And he, and he was- Will be for York City fans as well. Are they doing something at the new ground for him? You say that's right. They've now they've now got a, a kind of banner with it with his face on that's great. At, that's at, great. At, the, at the South Stand, which, which yeah. and, and a great tribute to him. And, and you know, he should be never. Forgotten. It is. I'm glad they won't. It, it, it shouldn't be. It shouldn't be. It, it, fantastic. He were a great lad, and you know, it, it did rip the heart out of us for that season. It, it, it just it just ripped us to pieces. And I think it did, John. To be fair, I think John Bird. I think he had a different look on life after that. You can totally understand, can't you? It's, it's Someone. Yeah, you can, yeah, yeah, you can, yeah, you can. Just moving on to other parts of your York City career, I listened to a podcast that you did with Chesterfield, I think it was Legends of the Spire, I think it's called. Yeah. And you talked about one of the best save in your career and you said it was a Gordon Banks-esque mm-hmm. one. I just wonder if you could sort of tell us a bit more about it. I know you, you probably... It you know, was... I've seen it. I've seen it on... I don't, know it's, it's, I don't know whether Michael put it on. I'm from Utah. I don't know whether he put it on Michael. I, I can't remember it was against. But I've seen it and I thought, I've not seen that before and I can't... I couldn't remember it at the time. It was an edit and it was right down in the bottom corner like that. It was very much like the Gordon Banks save. And, and I looked and I thought, I don't know how I did that. When I seen it back, he does a great job, Michael, Day, for the for Twitter and things like that. And he's, he's well respected yeah. by the supporters and he's a great guy. I, I was fortunate to speak to him face-to-face when I came up before Christmas. But he puts a lot of good stuff on, you know, and, and he, he keeps everybody together. Whether he knows which one it was, I don't know. But I'm sure he put it on or it, it a YouTube thing. But yeah, it was just it was just something. I looked back and I thought, yeah, probably one of the best saves I've ever made. Yeah, he had a picture of you on earlier today, actually. I don't know if you noticed that. 
Yeah, notice. Yeah, yeah. I have got a few stored now, but but that one, the same. I can't remember what it was, but as I say, I enjoyed my time there. I enjoyed my time ever so much. And when John left, and 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 John Ward came in, one of them things. He didn't fancy me, and that was it. I wouldn't be one to stay around and hang around. I had a go to try and get back in the side. I know Dean started to say finished the end of the season, didn't he? One year. Well, I was looking back, it was kind of like almost like you, you would have a run of games. Dean would have a run of games, and, and yeah. he went back and forth, and then all of a sudden, John Ward obviously decided that he, he needed. Yeah, John decided that he was going to play with Dean, which was fine. I mean, that, remember Dean coming to the club, and you know you were going to be a good keeper. I'd kept him out for a good couple of years, which was great. But then, you know, as I say, John Ward came in, and again, I got, I got a lot of respect for him. People lose respect when somebody leaves you out, but I, I got a lot of respect for him. And to be fair, he was the one of the first guys when I broke my leg when I went back to Chesterford and I broke my leg. He was the first guy who phoned me, and, and he wished me all the best, and he, he hoped that it, you know I wouldn't be long before I was fit. But no, I, I left on good terms with, with John Ward. He, he made the decision. I was the only one thing I was disappointed about is when it was the year they went up in was it the playoffs when they went up in yeah. the playoffs right. Dean started the first few games and he broke a thumb or something and I, I found out leading into when because I was coming in obviously to play he was told that he would get back straight in which at that time worked really hard pre-season to try and you know, have another go and try and win my place back as such. And to be told that, that was the only thing I was disappointed about. Dean had obviously started the season, don't know where I'd done well. I came in, I was going to be in for two or three games, but no matter how I did, I wasn't going to get staying. So from what I could gather. So that was the only disappointing thing I could say about my time at the club. But, but that's life. You get people who fancy you, you get people who don't fancy it. Yeah. And I was fortunate that I was fancied for 400 games. So yeah. I, I, I'm happy for my career. I'm happy for the people who picked me. Yeah, I mean, after 166 appearances for you, you, you went... I know you moved to Scunthorpe on loan for a game, which we won't talk about. We'll, we'll bypass that. Um, then went back to Chesterfield on, a, on, I think, much lower wages. But but it was was it just yeah, it to play again? Was it you kind of just? I just wanted to play. Game? What would I be? I'd be thirty. I just wanted to play again. I hate not playing, even when you were left out of a of a milk cup game or a Carabao cup game, whatever they've got, to give the other guy a chance. I hated it. I, I wanted to play every game. So when when I knew I weren't going to be there or I weren't going to be playing, I wanted to play, and and I, and I asked. If I could go anywhere. First of all, he sent me to, I don't know whether you're aware of this, he sent me to Cambridge. John Beck came in for me at Cambridge and wanted me to go down there. He wanted me to, at that time, Cambridge, I think they got fifth round, sixth round, FA Cup with John Beck. They got Dion Dublin up front and they got Claridge and they got Mick Heathcote. He was there, who'd been with us at York and and Mick Heathcote had gone. And I went down there for a couple of days and in two days, all I'd done was kick balls. He wanted all, because they they worked on a theory. He got on the floodlights, he put He'd done him a luminous green and put quality on. He wanted to put quality. He used to call it quality street. And all I had to do was kick balls and kick balls into this area because he got this theory that if you've got a throw in, the chances of scoring a, from a throw in were very high. He got long throw, and he got this theory that if you touch the ball more than three times, you're less likely scoring. So that's why he was all direct. And I never touched ball. I never. I never used my gloves for two days. I went on the. Th- I played a second team game, a reserve game on the Wednesday. I went down the Thursday morning. Got down there. Trained on the third. Uh, trained on Thursday, trained on the Friday, and halfway through the session on Friday, I, I still not took caught a ball, still not touched. All I was doing was kicking balls. He just wanted to know how to kick. So I came home, I just drove home, and I said to John Ward at the time, I says, "God, let me go down there no more, Gaffer. I don't want to go." I said, "I've not touched the ball with my hands." I says, "All I've done is kick the ball." And he said, "No, no, no. If that's all right, if you don't want to go, I'll tell him." So don't want to go. Then I, no, I didn't want to go. I mean, Chesterfield must have been a good, good move for you. you know, I, I know it was on low, lower wages, but your career has almost sort of gone full circle there, hasn't it? It were, yeah. As I say, I mean, born and bred in Chesterfield, started my career at Chesterfield. It was nice to finish there. And again, I enjoyed my time there until I, I, I had a couple of injuries. The first one was on New Year's Day against Shrewsbury. There was an header and the ground at Saltergate, the cop end at Saltergate, sun never got on that area at all. So it was all, if there was any frost, that was rock hard. It was absolutely rock hard. And they put a load of sand in there, in the goal areas. And this lad's headed a ball and it's gone on the floor and it's rolled. And it's gone between my legs. And I've tried to dive back to stop it and I've dislocated my shoulder and I've like still wafted my hand at this ball and I've threw it in net. So I, that was my season done. And then unfortunately the year after, I broke my leg against Scunthorpe. To be fair, the, the lad tried to get out of the way and, and landed on me and, and I had the operation on my leg, which was probably a, a little bit after, but I had the operation exactly a year to the day. It was the same day a year after. So I had two operations on the same day and, and unfortunately I never recovered from it. It was it was a bad break and I, and I never played professional football again, which was a shame. But yeah, it was it, it was nice to go back. 
I was just going to say, when John Duncan came back to Chesterfield, were you a bit worried about his wife's sort of tarot cards again? <laughs> well, it was it was strange because when I was at Stockport, I went to watch Leeds United and Ipswich Town, and it was towards the end of the season. And the Ipswich bus came in, and I'm walking down with my dad. Me and my dad went to watch a game, and John seen me, and he tapped on the window and come on, come on the bus. And he turned round to the gaffer, he turned round to their chairman and said, "Chairman, this is Chris Marvel, the lad who I tried to sign." Right. And I went, "You are, you tried to." Time after what we've gone off through, and he, and he started, and, and he says, yeah. he says, so anyway, so I don't know what truth really that whatever, or he just said, but. He said he tried to sign me back when he was there. So anyway, yeah, when I went to Chesterfield, Chris McMenny was manager when I went back, and he'd been there a while, and and, and then he, he got the sack. And rumours were that John Duncan were coming back. Um, I, I got a, a like a P45, and I put it on my peg when he came in, and it broke the ice. Right, as he walked in, I said, right, I'll see you later, chaps, all the best. And I put my P45 and put it on my peg. And he started laughing. At him. And yeah, I got a good relationship with him. I still speak to him now. We, we tried to meet for a drink now and again with a, with a few more of the lads. Unfortunately, Kevin passed a couple of years ago now, Kevin Randall, and we all used to go. And he, John was a big friend of Kevin's, obviously with his time at Chessfield uh, as assistant manager, and they, they became great friends. But no, I mean, John, again, the, the manager I've played in, I can't really say that I didn't like any. I'd like to think I got on with them all, everyone everyone who was there. And as I say, John Ward, we were another one who I got on with. And it, you know, for him to pick the phone up to me when I broke my leg and I'm in hospital and, and for him to speak to me, find out where I were and, and ring me, I, I, you know, I thought it was class, class from him. Mark of a man. It must have been difficult for you because a, a lot of keepers tend to sort of come into their prime, don't they, in their 30s and, and tend to get, yeah. to get older. Were you a bit frustrated that that kind of was taken away from you in terms of your Yeah, I was. I'd just turned 30 and, and, and I, as I said, I broke my leg and... and I, after a year, I'd been trying to train for a year and I was still finding it hard to put weight through me. Like, I didn't have a pot and I had a pin fitted and I was still finding it hard. And again, I spoke to the doc there and I spoke and, and it ended in tears. You know, they said, you're not going to get back to where you were. You're not going to be able to play. I played a second team game at Doncaster and I came off and I got in the car and I went home and I, and I, and I said, I've done, I've done. I'm not going to be able to play. I said, I said it's a year now since I, since I broke it. And I said, I shouldn't be having pain in it. And I was gutted. But to have that took away from me when, yeah, OK, I might have got another couple of years. I don't know. You drifted into the non-league and ended up on an extraordinary cup run with, with Emily in the FA Cup. Yeah, got yeah. to the third round, Upton Park against West Ham. I mean, looked at their side that played. I mean, it, a lot of teams now sort of play weakened sides. They had Rio Ferdinand, John Arson, <laughs> Stan Lazaridis, Frank Lampard, who scored after only four minutes as well. That's right. You, you must have feared the worst. Yeah, it was a strange one because I think that might have been his ninth or tenth game. Ronnie Glavin's in charge. I broke my leg. I'm doing nothing. I'm trying to get fit. I get a call from Ronnie Glavin. We'd like you to come and play at Emily. And I went, well, I don't know. Come, come and have a go. See how it goes. Okay, I will do. So I go there and, and yeah, I started enjoying it. Getting a few quid, playing football. Not the pressure of what you had before, you know, not, not all the pressure as a, as a pro footballer. So enjoying it, having a bit of a laugh and, and with a good set of lads. And one or two could play, to be fair. Ian Banks was there. As I say, Ronnie Glavin was manager and he, he tried to be as professional as possible. So, yes, yeah, so I've gone there and we had a cut run. We, I think we played Durham first game, beat them. Then we went to Workington. Then we played Belper. Then we went to fourth qualifying round with Nuneaton and we beat them. So that was four. And then we, we got drawn against Morecambe, who was top of the conference. And we drew one all there. So they're coming to Emily. Emily's only got three sides. Cricket pitch on one side. I don't know whether you've been there. It's one of the coldest places on earth. And we're in the middle of winter and we're playing Morecambe on there. And my record on penalties, I don't know whether I stopped one ever for you, but my record on penalties were pretty abysmal. And we got to penalties. And my dad's watching the game and my sister and they're thinking, we might as well go because they're not going to stop one here. And I save three. So then the draw's already been made and we're playing Lincoln City away. And who's in charge of Lincoln City but John Beck? So John Beck who I've more or less don't want to know what to do with, he was quite like a bit of a bully manager. I know he, he spoke about, and people spoke about when he used to blast music outside your dressing room. Well, that had upset some teams. A bunch of part-timers from Emily, we thought it were great. So he's got this music blasting out, and we're telling him to turn it up, telling young Brentsers, go and turn that music up, mate, go and turn it up. The lads are dancing. This is before FA Cup second round, and the lads are dancing. Anyway, we, we go there, I think it was 3-3, and we concede, I think it was 98th minute. And so we go to another replay, 
play game eight now. Yeah, so it were the ninth game, I think, where they've got West Ham. So we go there and we get a replay, and the club have decided we're not going to go to Temley now, we're going to go to Huddersfield. So we played at Huddersfield, McAlpine Stadium. So we played there. And we go there and we draw again. It's snow on the ground. John Beck's bought. Phil Stance up front for them. Great career in, in football league, proper goal scorer. And we go to penalties again. And we're leading and they've got a score. So I've gone and I've just marched straight up to Stanty. I said, Stanty, I know where you put them, mate. I said, I've known you all my life. You know I know where you put them. I know you know where I put them. So you've missed it. You might as well. I said, I'll have a part with you. He said, get back in your go get. And Beck shouted from the thing anyway. So he used, he used to hit him to keep his left. He always used to hit him to keep his left. And I thought, he's changing this. And I says, come on, Stanty, you've got no bottle. I said, I'll, we'll have a pint on it. And he went to right and I saved it and we went through. And John Beck didn't even let him get changed. He got him from off the pitch and he marched him straight onto the court and they went back. And so we've already got the draw with West Ham away. And we're thinking, this is crazy. We have same shirts, we've had same shirts for like three years. And all of a sudden we get new sponsored shirts and they've got the names on the back and they've got squad numbers. And it was great. It was great. We got beat in the 89th minute. I think it was 89th minute. Well, I was just uh, going to say, like you, you say about these replays and so. I mean, you nearly got got a replay with yeah. West Ham, didn't you? Yeah, we did. We, we weren't far away, and John Artson scored an header. I perhaps should have come for cross. Earlier in my year times, I probably would have done. I, I should have come for the cross, and I didn't. And he scored an header from about six yard out, falling from Lazaridis, and, and, and we lost two one. But you know, we went in, and, and the lads were gutted because we hit the bar, we hit the post, we get a right could go in ourselves and, and Harry Redknapp came in and the lads were gutted and he came in and he said look he said I, I can't open players bar I've shut it because all our lads are getting done drink driving but I've opened the social club around the corner go and have a drink on me it's a free bar for you and it was great and the guys all swapped shirts with us and it was a fantastic time to play non-league football you know it was to go down there they, they really looked after us and it, it was really great I, I couldn't believe how close the game was I mean it really battered them at times I mean like you mentioned hitting the bus and the bar. yeah I mean I felt sorry for the center half because he went off after four minutes. He'd actually pulled an hamstring when he scored, just before he scored, so he couldn't recover. So Lampard ran his own when he came through to make it 1-0. And he, he went off after four minutes, the centre-half. Mm-hmm. Gutted for him. Played non-league all his life, waited for a big game, and then that happened, and he was gutted for him. But, but no, again, it was a great time, and, and the lads loved it. And it was just another memory of, an happy memory it, it must have been great for you as well personally because like you say you know 11 years as a pro but yeah. you know other than a, cu- a couple of league cup games here and there you know you, you didn't really have yeah. that big third round no. moment and, no. and to have it there at that stage of your career after what you've gone through with a broken leg m- must have been fantastic for you to kind of embrace it was, it, that they were amazing and, and you know I used to go for a pint on Friday night to Len Badger a lad of bloke who used to, I don't know whether you know Len Badger used to play for Sheffield United played for England right back and Danny Wilson used to go in there Danny Wilson manager of Barnsley at the time and I said oh Oh, we've got this big game. Danny he says, I know you have. He says, I'm backing you, Maps. I'm backing you. And, and, and we, we, when I see him now, we still talk about this cup run. We used to have a beer on it and, and he used to say, go on, we'll have one more. And I say, I've got a game tomorrow. So well, I'll just have one more. And we, and we used to have, yeah, we used to have a drink on a Friday night and then we'd go and play. And, and you know, it put it down that I went in pub that night before the game. Look at, looking at your, your old clubs as well, Chesterfield, Stockport and York. I mean, they're, they're all in the non-league now, aren't they? Deep yeah. down all their results. I was doing a bit of commentary and teleanalysis on the, during COVID at Chesterfield, I was, I was still going to games. And that was a weird, strange feeling, mate, going to a game where there's no supporters and you can hear every, everything, what they say, and a, a pin drop. And it was strange. It was strange. But I was fortunate to be able to watch football. I feel very fortunate that, you know, at the time when it were, I could still go and watch a football match. And it was good. So, yeah, so I still go and watch them. As I say, Dunny invited me up to the to the game. Catherine, as a group, we, 20 of us went up. So, so yeah, so I like to go. But I, I do always watch. I always look at them three results. And next month, I've been invited as guest of Stockport against Chesterfield. So I'm, I'm going to go there as guest there. So, yeah, it, it's nice when you get invited by, by your past clubs. It's great. And I enjoy my time at all clubs. Yeah, I weren't there as long as I were at the other two at Stockport but as I say I enjoyed my time there I worked with one manager who was just a man manager could get best out of anybody in uh, Colin Murphy he would get the best in it in a man motivator it was unbelievable and then you got Ace Hartford on the other hand who was a more technical playing football type of manager and I enjoyed my time at Chesterfield with John Duncan and then obviously in coming back and, and then at, at, at the with Bobby, Bobby Saxton and, and John Ward and John Bird I, I, I loved it I've enjoyed it mate I couldn't wish for a better life 
in terms of football. I, I'm very proud of what I've done and I'm very proud to represent them three clubs as I did and just enjoy playing. Well, Chris, it's been amazing to hear your, your story and, and your career and I feel like it's been a roller coaster of emotions kind of just, just listening to you and, and ups and downs and, you know, thanks so much for giving up your time. I've, I've really appreciated you. I've really enjoyed, enjoyed it. Me. Yeah, I really enjoyed it and, um, you know, hope, hope to see us all again up there. Huge thank you there to Chris Marples for speaking to us. What an interview. I, I really, really enjoyed that. It was such an emotional interview at times, as I'm sure you could tell there. But such brilliant honesty about absolutely everything in his career. And Chris was actually someone that I very rarely saw play. I mean, I, I started going in 1992. I think I saw him a couple of times that season. I think we played Stockport in the FA Cup. I think crew at home as well uh, when Dean Carley was injured. So I haven't actually seen Chris play that much and massively regret that I didn't in that sort of late 80s, early 90s period. He, he was absolutely unbelievable and uh, some of the clips we managed to kind of get hold of in preparation for the promo were absolutely world class. Also have to thank Had IT, James Richardson's company, who uh, sponsored the last episode, this episode, and they're also going to sponsor next week's episode, which is with Rodney Rowe. Another interview I'm really, really pleased with. Me and Rodney spoke for about two and a half hours, I think. Um, it's whittled down somewhat for the edit, but really great guy, and, and again, really on, honest about his career, and I'm, I'm sure City fans will really enjoy it. Broken record time as well now. If you haven't got tickets for our live event, celebrating the Wembley twice. Ten years to the day of beating Luton Town, Friday the 20th of May, Huxley Sports Bar, 7pm. Uh, there'll be York City quizzes and all sorts of other stuff sort of going on as well. Dan Parsler, Michael Ingham and Scott Kerr are all coming down. And there'll be a bit of a live podcast with kind of me asking questions on the stage and then there'll be a chance for people to have a, a kind of live Q&A with them as well. Very similar setup to the Richard Brody event that people enjoyed. So if you're in York and around on that date, then, then please get yourself down there help support the charity we're also going to put some money to Dan Parsler's Headworth charity as well so it'll be a night of uh, a celebration and raising money for Headway and your hospital radio so so hopefully loads of people can can kind of make it down tickets are going really really well we're selling it on Eventbrite and at the minute you don't even need to pay you just need to register for a ticket and we'll be in touch about payment at a later date if you can't make that date but you still want to kind of donate to the charity it's justgiving.com forward slash your hospital radio any donation no matter how big or small is greatly received by the charity. And last but not least, if you're able to give us a positive review on iTunes or Apple or Spotify, Spotify has like a rating system now, so if you can just give us a few five-star reviews, that would be uh, really helpful to kind of pushing us to the wider football community and of other York City podcasts predominantly. You know, a lot of these people we interview are, uh, have played for a lot of other clubs and it's nice to kind of get the message out there and, and I'm sure other people can get enjoyment from them as well. So until next time, thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.